the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 641 for Sunday, January 22nd, 2017. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, the show. Where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We share your questions. We answer your tips. We share your cool stuff found. Yes, we have some of that coming up in a moment here. The goal, of course, every time we get together is for each of us to learn at least four new things. Sponsors for this episode include MaxSales.com, Otherworld Computing with their new, they call it the OWC Deck for the MacBook Pro DEC, we'll talk more about that in a moment. And Fat Cat software with Power Photos available a twenty percent off for you at FatCatSoftware.com/mgg. We'll talk more about that in a moment too. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton, and here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Good morning, John F. Braun. And I, and I say morning. Uh, that's what you think. Yeah, well, it's our first time uh, back on what I would call a normal schedule for us in, uh, in a while. After holidays and travel and various other schedule interruptions, we're actually doing this on a Sunday like, we, uh, like I like to say we normally do. So it is good to do this in the morning. Anything uh, overly exciting to report, John, or is it just time to dive right into Cool Stuff Found? Um... No, there's some uh, there's some goodies on the way. I've received some. I'm looking at some. Uh, so I think you and I will have some uh, have some things to report on. Yeah, soon. I I actually yeah I have I have received a couple of great things that I'm in the process of testing. Not really ready to talk and and kind of levy judgment on yet. But the Google Wi-Fi is here and active. The new Synology RT twenty six hundred AC router is here and active, and the Lima which is not a router, not to be confused with the Luma, but the Lima, which is the private cloud. Uh, I'll call it the transporter replacement, although it's obviously not from, or not obviously, it is not from connected data. Uh, it is a separate product, but it might be able to take the place of the connected data transporter in some of our homes if you really want that simple private cloud. But I, that, I actually haven't even cracked the box on it yet. So I'm really not ready to talk about that. I did see it in action at CES for a brief moment, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. Some things to talk about here. So, uh, but, uh, but that's coming like that's teasing up future episode for, for today. We've got some cool stuff found for you. So we'll start with Ken. Ken certainly wasn't the only one to mention this particular one. Ken says from your last episode, I tried cheat sheet to uh, show all of the command keys and all of that. He says, it seems okay. But I've been using KeyQ, K-E-Y-Q-U-C-U-E. Why did I say Q-U-E? Uh, for years, and it looks great, or it is great. He says, in addition to showing all of the uh, command key shortcuts, he says, KeyQ shows keyboard maestro macros, and it has lots of options, so I can see websites I like too. And when the KeyQ screen shows up, I can click on a keyboard shortcut, and it works. Yes, cheat sheet is free and key Q is, but that's easy for you to say, is about 21 bucks. But to me, Ken says it is worth it. And Ken, you are not alone. Many, many of you wrote in with almost exactly 
the same sentiment. So, um, so thank you for that. That's great. Great, great stuff. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Um, anything, any thoughts on that, John, before we move on to Steve? Oh, I think I used it once. It, it, was, it is not yeah, the think, first time we've mentioned Kiku on this show. I'm almost certain. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think their icon is the little, little twirly command symbol. I, I think, think that's, that's right. Uh, yeah. That's what they use to represent their product. Yeah. But um, yeah. Um, I got to get into one more. of these things because I feel like this is one of those deals from the people that I hear from with it. KeyQ is one of those apps that once you start using it, you can't give it up. So I, I, I feel like those are those are important to to test. Not every one of them resonates with all of us to, to be to be sure. You know, I have mine that, that don't resonate with you and, and that sort of thing. But uh, those are always worth checking out just to make sure we're not missing out on something good. Fear of missing out. That's what we solve for you here. I mean, we solve it often by by forcing you to liberate. Uh, all those those pesky dollar bills from your wallets and pay uh, software great software vendors for their great software uh, and great hardware vendors for their great hardware. But uh, but that is what we do. So Steve says, uh, while you're worried about your fear of missing out, he says, although it may not be the purest idea of syncing, the best iOS app I've found for moving files back and forth between an iPad and a Mac is Goodreader from Goodyware. One of the key features that makes Goodreader an essential iOS app is a small Mac app called Goodreader USB. That Mac app is compact, lightning fast, and brings up a finder-like interface that lets you drag files and folders back and forth between Goodreader on the iPad and the Mac. You need to use a lightning cable to use Goodreader USB, but you do not need to use iTunes, which means you don't need to keep up with the ever-changing for no obvious benefit iTunes interface and feature set. Goodreader also has a Wi-Fi interface that lets you upload files from the Mac to the iPad, assuming both devices are on the same Wi-Fi network. No cloud needed. So this solves a few problems. It's the uh, non-cloud note syncing that we were talking about in show 638. But Goodreader does so much more than that. And I'd forgotten about it. I used to use Goodreader all the time for playing movies on airplanes. Uh, long before we had Plex running the right way on iOS and before we had things like uh, you know, like, like VLC and, uh, what's the other one that we use all the time? And I can't remember the name of, but, uh, but you know, the, the, the good reader, you can put any kind of file you want in it and play, uh, you know, and, and use it on the other end. Have you used good reader, John? Not recently. Okay. Or at least I searched my machine using spotlight. I don't see it. I right, see right. it referenced in some emails. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Infuse is the other one that I'm thinking of uh, for specifically playing movies on uh, on iPhone and, and iPad. But uh, but yeah, before we had that, we had we had Goodreader, it, and it worked. It was kind of kind of brought the magic in. So anyway, all right, John, time to move on to uh, is it time to move on to Charlie? Indeed. All right, Charlie's cool stuff found this week includes. Where are we, Charlie? Got to find you. Oh, yeah. He says in uh, MacGeekab635, you talked about filing mail in Sierra. You mentioned Mail Acton as a plugin to help deal with the disappearance of the move messages to last mailbox feature from Mail App on Sierra. I tend to file all my mail in folders, and I'm always on the lookout for a way to do this better. I tried Mail Acton, but it didn't fit my way of working. However, I have found a solution that works for me, a plugin called Mail Hub from Dervish Software at dervishsoftware.com. It's 19 bucks 
Uh, then and it and among other things, it allows you to file mail to a folder of your choice when you send it and will file the mail you are replying to in the same folder. This has helped me keep both my inbox and sent folders under control without having to spend much time cleaning up after myself. The plugin has a host of other features, including reminders and auto folder suggest for the mail you're sending or reading. It says it isn't perfect, but it's easy to change a suggestion with a couple of keystrokes. I tend not to use the other features, but the time I've saved on filing mail has already paid for the plugin a few times over. Uh, he says, for clarity, I'm still on El Capitan, but there is a Sierra version and it has a 30 day unrestricted trial. So there you go. Thanks, Charlie. Have you ever tried MailHub? Do you, you, do you use any mail plugins at this point, John? Uh, Sig Pro. Oh, yeah, of course. That's right. I used to use Spam Sieve, but found it's really not necessary anymore. It wasn't catching things. The, uh, you know, the spam detection on most of the services is pretty good. Right. Right. I did use that. I think that's really about it. All right. Cool. All right. So where, well, would I, where, would I, where would I go to see what mail plugins I have? Oh, well, probably. Oh, and of course, GPG Mail. They, uh, they finally came out, with a, well, oh. they came out with a beta a while ago. Yeah, but not that long ago. That's worth a re-mention right there. Yeah, if you need to use PGP inside of uh, Apple Mail, then uh, GPG Mail is, is the way to go. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. That's that good, good, um, fine there, John. It works. They, um, I don't know why they're so slow with coming out with new versions when, Oh, I don't know. It could be that Apple tends to do bizarre things with, with mail. I've been noticing as of late, you know, some dialogues don't have the same level of detail of information, you know, especially like details about the, Upstream and downstream, you know, whether it's secure or something like that, it's, it's, it's getting more like, yeah, yeah don't, don't, don't worry, don't worry your pretty little head about it. We'll, we'll take care of that for right. you. It's like, no, but I want to know, is yeah. it secure? Are you using SSL? Yeah. What's the deal? You know. Yeah. Um, and I noticed the thing the other day, I don't know if it was a temporary bug, but I was trying to move some folders from one provider to another yeah. and I wasn't getting any progress messages. Usually in the activity window, it says, Oh yeah, I'm moving, you know, a thousand messages from you know the server to that server. Sure. And I'll have to try it again, but it, I wasn't seeing what progress it was making. And it's, you know, well, you used to do that. Why, why did you break this in? <laughs> yeah. Why stop? Why not tell me this? I, it, it's important, you know, cause I don't want to quit. I mean, it should, you know, if you quit, it should, you know, resume one would hope and you don't lose everything but um yeah you might though huh yeah that's a good question yeah 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 i think what have people recommended airmail is one that i think is on both platforms right it's on it, uh, yeah i've used it on both ios and uh and and the mac yeah it's um i it it's fine i i it didn't resonate with me let me put it that way i know other folks like it um and I didn't have anything against it. It just seemed a little too, um, a little, a little too simple, if you will, for me. Um, and that, I don't know, just, you know, personal preference, I suppose. I just didn't like the UI, I guess. But, um, but Riedel or Riedel, I don't, I, I always forget how they, uh, how they pronounce that, but R E A D D L E or more specifically for our current discussion, sparkmailapp.com. I really like spark as an email client. Um, 
it does. Obviously, it doesn't take all your mail plugins because it's not mail, but it's bare, you know, like out of the box functionality does most of the things that I would like mail to do. Um, it's very, very well done. And for a, you know, 1.0 or maybe they're up to a 1.0.1 or something product. I, I'm very, very impressed with it. This is definitely one to keep your eyes on. So, um, so check out spark. If you were, if you were even considering a third party mail client, and I believe it's free. It just, which doesn't make sense to me. Maybe it's, maybe it's just to, to, you know, help bring attention to the company and market their other, um, through other great products. But, uh, but yeah, definitely worth checking out. It's email for busy people is what it is. And, and they've done a pretty good job with it. So you check that out. It's good stuff. And to answer the question, because I didn't know initially, but I'm going to share it with us all because you all, y'all. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but how do you know what mail plugins you have installed? Well, I'll tell you how you find that out, Dave, and anybody who cares to see their mail plugins. Uh, if you look in library and uh, usually there's two library folders that you want to look in uh, the top level one and then the one in your user directory. Um, but if you go to library mail bundles, um, that should be where you will. And, and it's funny because in my top level one is where GPG is. And in my user directory is where uh, uh, SIG pro is. Yeah. Interesting that they decided to spread the love like that. Yeah. That's a, um, that's GPG's and, thing. It, 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 they're the only mail plugin that I've seen that installs in the top level library folder. And I'm not quite sure why that is. There might be a reason for it, but not sure. So, right. And then what you may see is you may also see a folder within the mail folder called bundles, paren, disabled, close paren. And that of course is mail plugins that mail for whatever reason has decided it doesn't like. Right. Or We're, not compatible and will will we'll crash your machine or, or screw everything up. Well, and it's not just mail that will put things in there, but excuse me, you're right. Mail definitely will. If it launches, if you get a message when you're launching mail and it says, uh, it, you know, this, we've disabled this plugin because it's incompatible with this version of mail. Check with the developer. That's where it's going to put it is in that, in that bundles disabled folder or bundles disabled two or bundles disabled three or even bundles disabled one. But, uh, but you can manage those with mail plugin manager and it will move things in and out of those, um, those, uh, those, those folders. That's from, uh, from small cubed, the, the folks behind plugins like mail act on and things like that. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. This is like a, uh, we're on a roll. Man. We're on a roll here. We're on a mail roll. Oh, is that, is that a thing? Mail roll? Is that like a jelly roll, but, uh, but different. No. All right. Shall we move on, John? Sure. Okay. Back to show 637. Robin brings us uh, talking about private notes sinking and, uh, and says, uh, oh, and this was actually the, the, the Robin, the one that asked the original question about how to sync notes uh, with, uh, without using the cloud. And uh, and Robin found his own answer, which is great. He says there is an application called Mac Journal, which, as the name suggests, is a diary journaling application. It's available for iPhone, iPad and Mac. And with very limited use over the past week, seems to do most of what I need. Uh, 
iOS versions are for Robin about two pounds each, and the Mac version is 21 pounds on Apple's App Store. Both keep all their data local, so I am not compromising any company policy. However, when connected on the same wireless network and apps running on both devices, the iOS device can be manually prompted to sync to the Mac version it can see on the network. There is security in place, so you need to verify on both devices that they were talking to each other, and then you grant access. But this only happens the first time. Thereafter, tapping the sync button in Mac Journal iOS with the Mac version running on the same network, it will look for and do a bi-directional sync. So, Robin, you found your own answer for doing private syncing of notes. Very nicely done. And that brings us another cool stuff found with uh, with Mac Journal. So thanks very much. Very cool stuff. Pounds. Pounds. That's it. Quid, as uh, as we sometimes call it colloquially. Well, really? what they do. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Uh, you can ask uh, Fieldsy. In the uh, in the chat room, I believe that is the uh, fieldsy. I believe is there. And the chat room, if you would like to join us when we record, is at macgeekgab.com slash stream, and you can join us not only to hear the live stream but chat with all of our uh, great listeners and keep us up to date while we're doing the show. Yes, it's, it's all very good. Alex in the room asked, "Why would someone want to sync notes?" And the reason is. Private business. Because your because your policy of the place that you work may have a policy saying you can't store things on a server that's outside of our control. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, you don't get the. I mean, personally, I like the latest Apple Notes, and I find it, you know, convenient. Yeah. To be able to share stuff between my iOS and and my Mac, and it, it does so far a really good job of that. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, the new notes is is stellar. It, we could give up Evernote if we were able to share an entire notebook with each other. Uh, but at the moment, we can only share individual notes for collaboration, and that's not enough for, for our current workflow. So, right. Yeah. But yes, Alex, in the chat room, network policy is the reason. So... All right, moving back to show 637, we will stay there with a comment from listener Michael, who says, uh, just a quick one. I got around to listening to the Christmas show and the article about the Dropbox public folder and links going away as an alternative. Don't forget that Backblaze B2 gives you 10 gigs of storage for free and allows public links. And that is true. This is worth uh Worth not forgetting. So we'll put a link to Backblaze's B2 there. But yeah, you get 10 gigs for free from them. And then after that, it's like half a cent a gig a month. So you can, you know, you can go from there. But but yeah, you can sign up for B2 for free and get 10 gigs. And you can, uh, I don't want to say you can use it however you want. I'm sure they, I'm sure they have some some policies in place about that. But in terms of being able to just simply link from anywhere to your documents on Backblaze B2, that works just fine. So good stuff, John. Do you have a B2 account yet? You know, I should set this. We both should set this up. I, you know, I actually at that, uh, at the, cause uh, they work on the, yeah, I don't know why I didn't install it on my Synology. Cause. Uh, right. Right. Actually, you totally can. That's right. And I, <laughs> Excuse me. And I actually misplaced it, but I actually got a certificate for like a free year. Oh, nice. Store. But it, but as 
was just pointed out, you can get 10 gigs for free. For so. free, no matter who you are. That's right. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right in their cloud sync program. Okay, it's one of the uh, many options that they offer. Yep. Cool. Yeah, because the more backups, the better, I always say, and you always say, and we should all say to each other. I do. I'm I'm actually curious, you know, and and this brings up one of my uh, one of my favorite conceptually and 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 in in practice, one of my favorite backup programs called Arc A R Q, because it is a backup piece of backup software, uh, cloud backup software that leaves it up to you to choose your own cloud. Now, at the moment, I don't believe Arc supports uh, Backblaze B two. But my guess is that they could and possibly would at some point uh, in the future. They'd support Amazon Cloud Drive, Google Drive, Dropbox, OneDrive, Google Nearline, Amazon Glacier, and Amazon S3. So uh, we'll put a link to, to ARC, ARQ, in the show notes. But uh, it's very, very flexible backup software is, is probably the best way I would – cloud backup software. Because you can and, – and you can also – link to your own FTP server. You can, you know, it, it's whatever you want. Very, very powerful stuff. So definitely worth checking out. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. This cool stuff found is, uh, it has taken on a life of its own today, John. I kind of like it. It's good. Can we move forward to show 639, my friend? One step forward. One step forward, two steps back. No, no, no. That's two steps forward. One step back. Anyway, uh, Jim, says, I was surprised in episode 639 when you were discussing whether to use Hibernate Mode 0 or 3, you didn't mention a nice utility called Smart Sleep. This checks the battery level when your Mac is about to go to sleep, and if it's high enough, it automatically chooses 0 for you, i.e. Dave's mode. But if it's below 20%, then it sets the mode to 3, i.e. John's mode. This way, you both get your preference. There is an old PrefPane version that was free, I believe, that's the one I still use, Jim says. The newer version seems to be $5.99 from Jinx.de. The only deficit is that it doesn't seem to have been updated for Sierra. I'm only running 10.10, Jim says, so I can't guarantee it works on Sierra. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes, and, and perhaps the, uh, the smart sleep folks will come around and, and tell us what, uh, what works on Sierra and what does not. Or maybe we'll just try it on one of our laptops, too. But... yeah. I yeah. changed mine. What's that? I changed mine. Oh, did you match my preference now? <laughs> I changed mine to, uh, what was that? Uh, 25. Just to see what it's like. Which one? What does 25 do again? Remind us, John. Hibernate mode 25 is only settable via PM set. So just the excitement of, of that yes. is, is enough reason to use it. But it's sure. just a system will store a copy of memory to, persist, to persistent storage and will remove power to memory. The system will restore from disk image. If you want hibernation, slower sleep, slower wakes, and better battery life, you should use this setting. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want better battery life. I don't necessarily want slower. That's Yeah, so how have you liked that? Because when you wake up your Mac now, you have to wait a good, what, five to ten seconds for it to... to yeah, it's pretty... It's, is it faster than that because you're well, on SSD? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not really a... See, I'm not Notice convinced, it, depending on how often you put your Mac to sleep and wake it up, I'm not convinced that saves battery life because it's bothering to save the whole thing, shut the, sh the machine down, then, you know, wake the machine or not wake the machine, power up the machine, 
you know, if your machine is asleep mm-hmm. for a week, yeah, absolutely, because it's not keeping the memory refreshed. But if you are someone who puts your Mac to sleep and wakes it up, you know, multiple times a day, uh, I would think that this would not be good. And also, you lose all the benefits of power nap, right? So it's not doing your time machine backups while it's uh, asleep because it's not really asleep. It's it's actually powering. Which my back portable off. is the last portable that is not capable uh, of power nap my mac gotcha. mini is and that's always nice because sure. i i use um a time machine editor and say okay uh could you do this at uh, i forget i have three different backups scheduled like at two in the morning three in the morning and four in the morning sure and i set it and yeah sure enough every every morning like i'll even look right now yep it says yeah uh, i did a backup today at three ten a.m mm. it's not uh, so it wakes up does the time machine back up and then goes back to sleep. Right, 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 right. Which is uh, pretty cool. But yeah, I'm trying to find, where would you see that? There is, uh, I mean, memory does take some power. I'm actually looking here, though not a heck of a lot. I'm actually looking using uh, iStat menus here. No, I don't see a uh, No, memory. Okay. Uh, at least in the Mac Mini, it's, uh, it's taking 0.03 amps. That's a pretty serious. Now that's like <laughs> that's a ridiculously small amount of current. Yeah, and at yeah. five volts, so that's uh, yeah. So that's that's not a lot of power. Not a lot of. But power. I like the theory. Yeah, that if you're not powering memory, you're you're saving power. Sure, sure. Yeah. All right. Moving on to our penultimate cool stuff found, or at least on the list for today, is from Andrew. He says. Uh, what did he find here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, he says, uh, what is he looking for? This is a, a weird thing. It's called the Silicon Dust HD Home Run. Uh, he says, in both the USA and then back home in Australia, I've used the Silicon Dust HD Home Run to put network TV on my home network, watch said network TV on both my Mac and iOS devices, and record network TV to my Mac. It's at silicondust.com slash HD Home Run. Um, you've always, they've made significant improvements, he says. You've always been able to record on your Mac from this unit via the iTV software. Very cool. You watch TV from this unit on Insta TV for iOS. The only downside is you have to fork out for the right audio codec. Uh, for 10 bucks. So now here are the improvements. They now have an Apple TV app, meaning you can pump network TV around the house to Apple TVs over Wi-Fi without the need to lay coax and link to the antenna on the roof. They now integrate with Plex, turning your Mac or Synology disk station or any NAS into a DVR. Why is this cool? It just is. And you can access Plex from outside of your home network. The unit comes with two tuners. Want four tuners? Just buy a second unit and put it on your network. But you have cable, and this is for network TV. I hear you say they have a cable card version. Boom. Awesome addition to your home network. So this is at siliconduscom It's the HD Home Run. And uh, I think you can go to HDHomeRun.com, too. And, yeah, that'll, that'll, bring, you, that'll bring you there. But, uh, but yeah, th- having this link with Plex and have Plex be your DVR is a very, very cool concept. Um and the fact that they've got a cable card version now is even cooler. I might have to check one of these out, John. This is, I, I like, uh, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I love my TiVo setup um, and it works very, very well and all of that. But 
I do like the idea of sort of open sourcing this stuff and, and liberating my content to do with as I please. That, that said, TiVo works really, really well with their, their iOS app and you can stream from outside the home and, and all of that stuff. Uh, I, in fact, I did that. Where was I? I was somewhere. Oh, I was out at a, on a theater gig and wanted to watch a Patriots game early in the season or something. And I was like, oh, let me see if I can do this. So I, I was on Wi-Fi at the gig. And so I grabbed my phone. I'm like, all right, let me tune into my TV at home. And sure enough, right there on my on my music stand on my iPad. Actually, I had the game streaming while we were doing warm ups. So I didn't do it during the uh, during the show because I didn't quite have the show memorized enough. But uh, but you can do that with TiVo and, and this HD home run. Um, it seems will let you do it. I don't know if you can, I, I suppose you can do it with live TV as well, right? Yeah. Uh, watch schedule and record live TV. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Very cool. I like all this stuff, John. It's fun. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. See, you're having the same kind of, uh, you're having the same sort of thing that I am. So HD home run. The last thing that I have on our cool stuff found list is actually something that you sent to us folks most more specifically that uh, iTunes listener Jim Fantasia or Fantasia sent to us this week. It iTunes reviews and his iTunes review was very, very short and very sweet. Five stars he gave us. This is one of the great Mac centric podcasts, a must in your tool chest of tech related podcasts, especially for the Apple ecosystem. Thank you, Jim. And thank you, everyone who leaves us iTunes reviews. Uh, it really does. It, not only does it mean a lot, don't, not only do we like to see them, but uh, it really does help us keep charting within the, uh, the iTunes store. And of course, that brings more exposure and more listeners. And then that means more questions and more cool stuff found and just a healthier Mac Geek Gab uh, family for all of you. So you can go to, I believe macgeekgab.com slash iTunes will bring you. And I will make sure that that will bring you right to the closest we can get you to being able to leave us a review. Cool stuff. Thank you everyone for, uh, for all of that. Really, really great stuff. John, you got anything else before we, uh, before we mosey forth here? Mosey on moseying on. I want to talk about uh, our two sponsors, actually, and I'm going to start with Power Photos from Fat Cat Software. If you go to fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG, you'll be brought to a page where you get a 20% off coupon, and the coupon is MGG as well, uh, on both Power Photos and its uh, older predecessor, I will say, called iPhoto Library Manager. What do these do? Well, you've probably figured it out. They pick up where Apple left us all off. Whether or not you're still an iPhoto user, uh, and certainly if you are a Photos user, Power Photos and iPhoto Library Manager for the former, do all kinds of things that Photos cannot. Uh, you know, things like merging two Photos libraries or splitting Photos apart into libraries, that's something that Photos does not do. Power Photos lets you do. You can use it to manage multiple libraries. Uh, it's got its own photo browser inside there. Uh, and it's got a list view for better searching and, and finding and all of that stuff. You can filter it down. You can copy photos back and forth between libraries. Or as I said before, you know, split up one library into pieces. Let's say you've got 
one big monster uh, iPhoto library or photos library. My apologies. Although again, with iPhoto library manager, which comes with your license, you could do this if you still have iPhoto, but let's say you got one big monster photos library and you're starting to hit the limits of your cloud storage or your max storage, or you simply want to split it apart so that you've got a faster experience happening inside photos. No problem. Get power photos, tell it to create a second library, and then you can decide, hey, look, I'll take all the photos from 2010 and prior and put them in this other library. And that way you get them out of your main library. Your main library responds faster and you're not taking up all that same storage on your local drive. You could store this other photos library on a NAS device or something. Make sure you back it up, by the way, especially if you're an iCloud photo library user, of course, because now you're moving them out of your iCloud photo library, but you're saving yourself your storage there. So you've got to check this out. Thatcatsoftware.com slash MGG and uh, and go check it out. They, they've got a trial. Uh, and then, when, like I said, when you're ready to buy, coupon code MGG saves you 20% off the purchase of your license, which is the license for both of their products, which is Power Photos and iPhoto Library Manager. Our thanks to the folks at Fat Cat Software and to Power Photos for sponsoring this episode. And now we get to talk about our second sponsor, which is MaxSales.com also known as Otherworld Computing, and what they call the DEC, D-E-C. This is, it's not a dock. That it's, takes me back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. DEC? Deck. Yeah, but have you seen this DEC? I don't even know why. I've looked to try and figure out why they call it a DEC, but it's a, um, it's a very, very cool thought about expanding the ports on the new macbook pro right the new macbook pro only has USB-C ports so if you want an ethernet port you need to get a dongle if you want USB-A ports you need to get a dongle if you want to plug in your uh you know sd card you have to get a dongle yeah all of those things need a dongle well this device is like a dock because it plugs into one of your USB-C ports and then gives you all of these other things but it's also very portable because it is exactly the same shape as the bottom of your MacBook Pro and it fits onto the bottom of your MacBook Pro. Yes, it makes it a little bit thicker, but it provides all of these ports. It's got a gigabit Ethernet port. It's got uh, uh, USB 3 type A ports for standard USB cable devices. It's got an SD card slot, right? And it's got up to four terabytes of additional flash SSD storage for a maximum of six, adding to the two that you could get inside the machine. Very, very cool. And on first glance, you almost don't even notice that uh, that this thing is connected to these machines until you realize, well, wait a minute, those aren't the slots that I was looking for. So it's a very, very cool thing. And uh, and and, you know, they've got. Uh, I, I I think they've got a they've got a, a cool little um, a cool little product on their hands. So um, OWCMaxSales.com is going to ship the DEC in spring of 2017. So in a few months, um, and you can learn all about it at OWCDigital.com/dec. And of course, that link goes in the show notes uh, for all of you to check out, and uh, and we'll put it in the chapters here too. 
but uh, but a very very cool concept, and obviously it's it's sort of being polished up and finished up right now. So uh, so keep an eye on this. We're certainly going to keep an eye on it too. This is one of those things where I'm really stoked to have uh, Otherworld Computing as a sponsor because we get to talk about the cool stuff that they've created, not even that we found. So very very cool, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Our thanks, our sincere thanks to Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com for sponsoring this episode. Yeah. My only worry is uh, looking at this here. Is yeah. That John, Johnny is not going to be happy because it mm. makes the machine thicker. <laughs> yeah. But it gives the machine all the capabilities that, that people need, uh, you know, yeah. and enhances its storage. I'm, I'm kind of no, into that's this. absolutely clever. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, we've got a couple of tips to go through, John. So we're going to start with a tip from listener Dan. Who says, after enjoying my AirPods for several days, I encountered a problem. The left AirPod refused to work. No audio, no chime when inserted and no Siri. When double tapping, the right AirPod worked fine. I tried rebooting my iPhone, disconnecting and reconnecting the AirPods, turning off and on the Bluetooth and toggling on and off on automatic ear detection for the AirPods in settings. Nothing worked. After fiddling around, I was able to get the left AirPod to work, but then the right AirPod stopped working. I could only get one AirPod to work at a time. And when I checked battery levels, only the battery level for the working AirPod would show. I tried another Bluetooth headphone with my iPhone and it worked perfectly. Only the AirPods had this problem. After researching AirPods, I learned that you can reset them. So I thought I would give it a try. After first disconnecting the AirPods from my iPhone by saying, forget this device in my iPhone settings, Bluetooth settings. I then reset AirPods by pressing and holding the Bluetooth setup button on the back of the AirPod case until the status light in the case flashed amber a few times and then finally flashed white. I would estimate this took about 10 seconds until the status light flashed amber. I then reconnected the AirPods to my iPhone and everything has worked perfectly since. Thank you very much, Dan. That's a good little tip. So holding the pressing and holding the Bluetooth setup button on the back of the AirPod case until it flashes amber a few times and then flashes white is what it takes to reset the AirPods. Thank you so much, Dan for sharing that with us. Pretty good, huh? Nice. Yeah. And another one that really came in the form of a question uh, from Andrew that I don't think we have the answer to, but, uh, but we definitely can share the tip. Andrew says, Siri has become an indispensable method for searching uh, to searching for answers for queries. However, how can I control where she looks? Currently, I seem to get Yahoo results when I ask Siri about sports scores and Microsoft Bing results for most of the other voice queries that I make. I have tried saying, and this is where the tip comes in. I have tried saying, hey, uh, well, the command. <laughs> that's right. Search Google for insert your information here. So, you know, hey, Bozo, search Google for Mac Geek Gab and it comes up just fine. But Andrew says, I want to set up defaults or orders where Siri queries. And no, I don't believe there is. Siri does not honor the uh, like Safari search preferences and settings. Siri uses what Siri wants to use. And that is um, that is, as you found, Yahoo for sports and Bing for pretty much everything else. But there is that handy little tip that you sort of embedded in your question which is that, yes, you can have it search Google simply by saying search Google for X. So we appreciate the tip. And of course, uh, now everyone knows of your query. And if there is a way 
of configuring Siri, please let us know. Send us an email feedback at MacKeyCab.com. We would love to know the answer to that. I don't think there is one, but, uh, but feedback at MacKeyCab.com is where I'd love for you to send an email if you happen to know. Really? I, I thought you said feedback at MacKeyCab.com. I did, except, except I'll point out that listener Andrew is a premium listener. So Andrew sent this in to premium at MacKeyCab.com. And if you want to learn about premium, you can visit us at MacKeyCab.com. All right. Shall we get on to, uh, to the questions that, that have been sent in? The questions that we might actually have answers to as opposed to poor Andrew where we took his question and turned it into a tip. <laughs> All right. Uh, going to Mike here. Mike says, over the past year, I've been struggling with annoying hiccups in AirPlay transmissions from my MacBook Air late 2012 to an Airport Express. At least once a week, I have to reboot the Express and the time capsule networks it has joined as a client. From web searches, I quickly learned this is a common complaint. After trying many suggestions, some even laughable, the only thing that worked was forcing the Airport Express to join the 5 gigahertz network instead of letting it decide which network was better. Since I made this change last fall, I've only had to reboot once. One of the suggestions I tried was turning off IPv6 on my MacBook Air, Time Capsule, and Airport Express. Even though it didn't seem to have an effect, I have kept IPv6 disabled. Should I turn it back on, and if so, where? Should I do it on the MacBook, the Time Capsule, or the Airport Express? So, there's a couple of things to talk about here. Uh, In terms of, let's answer the question about IPv6, John, and then let's dig into kind of the rest of this whole band steering thing that uh, wasn't happening. Um... IPv6 is uh, enabling it right now for most of us is really more about being that good Internet citizen than it is actually solving a problem. For most of us, having IPv6 enabled isn't going to change the functionality that we can do. That's not entirely true. If you've got, say, your NAS device on uh, on an IPv6 connection and your entire network is IPv6, You can address it from the outside world as long as you're on IPv6 and get directly to it if your firewall is configured to let you through and you don't have to do port forwarding or anything like that because it has its own uh, IP address and and all of that. That also obviously opens up some security concerns. Most firewalls just block all incoming traffic, so you would have to specifically allow incoming traffic. And so there's the benefit there of sort of learning and being prepared for IPv6 when we do actually need to start using it for actual devices. Right now, every device pretty much gets both an IPv4 private address on your network and an IPv6 generally public address uh, on your network. So would would you agree with that, John, that uh, if if you're having, if IPv6 presents any problems for you, don't just turn it off, but otherwise turn it on. And, you know, you're sort of part of this test that gets us further down the road. That's sort of my feeling on it, John. Would you agree or disagree? Um, well, yeah, in the airport utility, there's, they actually do have a place where you can say enable IP six connection sharing, which is what you just talked about. Right. And you can enable or disable that at the uh, device level. Um, I mean, currently I'm not doing IP V six and I think you know why. Cause Eero doesn't support it. Yet. Yet. Let's hope. No, they will. Yeah, they've told me they will. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I don't see it. Like you said, it's a it's a convenience and it's future proofing, if you will. It's uh, 
but yeah, I mean, I haven't, you know, had any, uh, regrets not having IPv6. <laughs> it was kind of neat before. I think you and I did, you know, a sharing and it's like, wow, that's really a nice feature. Somebody really thought about this. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we can share using other other methods. Right, right. I mean, it, yeah, there are some things it opens up and, and again, yeah, just you just kind of future proofing. That's a great way of saying it, John. So yes, if you can have IPv6 on, it's better because then you know, that you, then you aren't forced to deal with it when you, you know, when you have to at whatever point that, that winds up being now about now you mention it. I'm wondering, cause I got this snazzy new now. I don't think, no, I don't think the, uh, my, my ISP doesn't support, um, IPv6 yet. Oh, that's I see right. A screen. Well, I see a screen on the, on the cable modem. So I have an heiress, which they provide as part of the package. Yep. And they have a screen and it says IPv6 DHCP attempts zero. Oh, got it. So okay. that means it's never asked for an IPv6 address. Right. Oh, maybe once I get an IPv6 device, it will. Who knows? But Yeah, probably not. Well, I don't no. know. Yeah. yeah um, so, but, but I wanted to dig in a little bit to this because he said he's got, you know, his airport express uh, connecting wirelessly to his time capsule yeah. and was originally doing that with, you know, letting the client, the airport express decide which band to use. And uh, for the most part, that's that can be a very convenient way to do things. It is the way uh, Apple recommends we do things, and it's generally the way we recommend we do things. However, it's not always the way we actually do things because client devices don't always get it right. Um, they only can see their side of the connection, right? So they see strong network signal, weak network signal, grab the strong one, go, you know, that that's pretty much what the client can do without the router participating in that discussion um, and, and providing its side of the equation. It really has no, the client has no idea a what bands are congested B what sort of actual transmit rates you're going to get uh, based on, you know, all those other factors. Uh, and, and so it's helpful when you're running a router that can participate in that discussion. And when you are, then you definitely want to just let it pick um, all the mesh routers certainly do, but, but the mesh routers aren't limited to it. You know, I just started, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I just started testing the new Synology, the RT 2600 AC. That one supports what they call smart speed or something. I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's band steering where the router actually helps you helps your clients choose the, the previous Synology supports that as well. RT-1900. Uh, lots of the Netgear routers out there support this. Apple's routers are pretty much the um, the ones that sort of, as a rule, do not. All the Linksys routers support this. So there is uh, a benefit in making sure you're using a router that is going to help your devices pick in real time and, and steer them. And most of the time, this is called band steering, even though... Every company puts their own sort of, you know, uh, internal name on it. But uh, but doing some band steering can help. That said, um, I have, you know, I, I, I run all kinds of things here. The, the thing that I as I disable any of the given mesh networks or things that I'm testing, the thing that I always revert back to is that that open source DDWRT firmware. And with that, I'm able to actually assign uh, virtual SSIDs, multiple names to the same radios. 
So I have all my radios, all 2.4 and all five gigahertz radios with the same name. So the clients can decide. And for the most part, that's what everybody in the house does. And it works. But I have found that if I want fast speeds, I am in my particular scenario with where I have routers placed. And again, this is why there's no one solution for everyone. But in my particular scenario, I found that my iPhone does better being connected to the five gigahertz network, regardless of what the iPhone thinks uh, at the time that it's grabbing a, a signal. So I have a separate SSID from the same five gigahertz radios that indicates that it's just the fives. And for the most part, that's what I let my iPhone connect to and things work fine. Um, the nice part is if I get too far out of range and I lose the five, like if I'm at the end of the driveway, it'll grab the 2.4 and everything's good. So there are scenarios where the client is not going to get it right. And, uh, and in those, yeah, sometimes it is better to sort of split your network apart. Um, but again, that's on a very much a per network basis. Your better, your best bet is to letting the router participate in that. And again, all the mesh stuff will, but, but a lot of the kind of standalone routers will do this too, where they just broadcast one SSID and actually help the clients by using things. Again, it, you know, it's generally called band steering. Everybody comes up with their own internal name for it. Thoughts on this, John? I've seen it happen. Yeah. Yeah, we all have. Well, sometimes I'll run a speed test. And the first time I run it, I may not get the speeds that I'm expecting. But yeah. then I think the Eero has a discussion and it's like, hey, look, this guy's sucking down some bandwidth. Let's, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's. Let's hop him to something. Easier. Yeah. No, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Speed test is, is, is misleading to us as humans because it happens over a very short period of time. Right. I mean, you know, you're talking what, what single digit seconds for the most part. And, uh, and, and you're right. A lot of times, lots of things will happen. It, it could be exactly what you described, John, where it's on one band and it steers to the other. It could also be like your iPhone will go into power saving mode on the network, uh, at which goes much slower. And then as it, you know, says, Whoa, all right, hang on. Yep. Big payload coming. It jumps up to a faster network. So yeah, it, if you, if you are doing speed tests over Wi-Fi and you have a router that can can do, you know, some of this magic here, and even sometimes if you don't, it's worth doing the speed test two or three times in a row because by the third time, things have had a chance to say, like like you just said, John, yeah, all right, hey, <laughs> let's let's do this right. And it can make a difference. You know, I was t- in, in pre-show, right? I was testing the Google Wi-Fi. And, uh, and I'm across the driveway here. I was, I was really kind of, you know, intentionally putting it to its limit and I got like, whatever, 25 megabits per second down. I was like, okay, you know, it's not great, but it's a connection. It's, it's a, it's plenty for surfing the web or getting email or whatever. So, okay, great. Uh, and I'm up in the studio, I think downstairs in the office, I can't see it, which is odd, but, uh, but then I did the upstream test. And the first time the upstream test was 0.05 megabits per second. I was like, wah, wah, wah. That's not good. Okay. One ding for the Google Wi-Fi. Then, and this is why we're, you know, not doing our official review yet. Then I did a second speed test and the second one came in at 10 megabit. I was like, okay, (laughs) something happened between those two speed tests that I am unaware of, but the results speak for themselves. Cool stuff. Right, John? Indeed. Are we ready to move past this? Yes. Okay. John, listener, John, not you. Uh, although we all have this concern, writes in 
And uh, he says, I have a late 2013 iMac on El Capitan, uh, eight gigs of RAM, one terabyte of storage that came stock off the shelf. I have bought iStat menu and have run activity monitor. As far as I can tell, nothing points to the problem of why my iMac is running closer to a turtle than a rabbit. Could you do a deep dive on how to keep the iMac <coughs> system running faster and what to look out for by ways of files to delete to be as fast as possible? I would like to feel the way I felt when I noticed how fast the iMac was on January 14th, 2014 on its first power up. I think I have seen more than my share of beach balls of weight. So instead of doing a deep dive, I figured we'd just do a little segment on this here, John. Um, so, yeah, there are a few places to look when you're running the right tools. And I, I feel like you have them. Uh, iStat menus and activity monitor are great tools to kind of help you get a, a um, instant view of a real time view of what's happening on your Mac. So the first thing I would do when your Mac's running slow, it's going to be one of three things, right? And it could be a combination of any of these three too. Either your CPU is being taxed or your disk is uh, running too slowly or, and, or you are out of memory. And so the first thing I'm going to look at is memory in iStat menus, uh, go to the, conf the configuration utility, which is by launching the iStat menus app, choose memory and uncheck the show active show inactive memory as free box and set the display format to traditional this way in your memory menu bar, the number you see for free is actually the amount of free RAM, not through any filters or with any assumptions made. Um, and that number is the one to watch, especially when the system gets slow. And if it gets down below, my, my feeling is if it's below 100 megs of free RAM, then you are having a RAM issue where your system is actually running out of RAM. Um, and you either need to quit some apps or if you've got some apps, if, if, if there are no apps left to quit, then uh, perhaps a reboot will help. But by and large, you're probably in a scenario where you uh, you need to add RAM to this thing if you can. And I think you can on that one. So that's that's kind of step one. Any thoughts on the on the RAM thing, John, before we before we migrate off that? On the RAM. Yeah, I think the other thing that you see in that view, where is that? You'll see this memory pressure thing, and that that's usually an indication if that figure is too high. I mean, it actually changes colors if 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 the system thinks it's in trouble, right? Right, or right. At least an activity monitor. An activity um, monitor, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's usually a sign. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to look up this machine here, but eight gigs sounds like a reasonable. It, it, for well, most of if, us, it, but hey, the more uh, I, I've I've never heard anybody say adding memory is a bad thing. Right. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, I'll, I'll bring that one up here. He said it's a 20. Oh, that is kind of a. It's a late 2013 iMac. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's not that no, it's not that old. No. Let's see. So it could be a 21 or a 20. What did he say? Well, I don't think it really matters. It's it's pre-retina because the retinas came out later that year. Oh, well, look at this. Okay. Uh, whether it's, let's see, both machines. All right. If it's a 21 inch, this is weird. So if it's a 21 inch. It can handle... Uh, 16 gigs. If it's a third, 27 inch screen, it can handle 32 gigs. And that's according to what? Uh, Mac tracker. I would also visit either MacSales.com or crucial.com 
and see what they say about your machine because a because Mac Tracker, I believe, just report re-reports Apple's internal specs. Uh, and Apple is not Apple is very conservative with what they say their machines can support. A lot of times Crucial and OWC and or OWC can sell you a kit that will get you up well beyond what Apple says your machine will run. So it's worth checking that out. Yeah. Can't hurt though. I found. Yeah. So that's a good suggestion. So memory is, is one. Yeah. CPU is probably what you've looked at um, with activity monitor and, or iStat menus. That's sort of the obvious one that comes up first when you first launch activity monitor. Um, And, and you probably aren't seeing your CPU just being taxed out. Uh, What you're describing is probably not that, uh, and and you and and that makes sense. So little of what we do these days requires a lot of CPU for a long time. Uh, you might ha- launch an app and it needs a lot of CPU for a very very short time as it sets itself up. That's great, but very little of what we do on our machines requires CPU for a long time. The only sort of notable exception is when you have a web page that you know is running. Either some very, very heavy duty, uh, you know, JavaScript or it's got, you know, uh, plugin stuff like Flash or whatever that's requiring a lot of CPU. But but otherwise, for the most part, what we all generally do with our machines is is very minimal on the CPU. Would you would you agree with that, John? Hello. All right. Well, I've lost John. No, I'm sorry. I'm oh. myself because oh. I was hacking up. You were hacking. Ah, yes, of course. Right. And the, I didn't want to share that with the, the winter head cold season is upon us here at Mac Geek. Yeah, I got a little little something. But again, uh, yeah. in consideration of our listeners, they don't want to hear me call. Much appreciated. So I would I, I would say, you know, CPU is probably not it. And you've already seen that. And if you hit the CPU wall, well, there's not a whole lot you can do about that anyway, but that's right. probably not what you're, what you're seeing. Oh, what was I saying? Yes. So uh, I saw a world of difference, Dave, with the older, the 2010 mini that I had, yeah. which was core two. And now I have the 2014, which is the I five, I think. Oh yeah. But even though it's the same number of cores and the same uh, uh, clock speed, it's way more efficient. I never have seen the, um, my CPU meter uh, get pegged on this machine. Sure. I definitely saw it on the older one. So I would say, yeah, a, a machine of that vintage is probably, you're not going to be CPU bound. That's, that's what we pros yeah. call it or computer science people. That's right. So you can be CPU bound. You can be Ram bound. You can be uh, network bound. I don't think you mentioned that. No, that I, I, it didn't seem like that's what was going on. Cause being network bound, isn't going to cause your machine to beach ball. It's just going to cause things to well, load slowly. <sighs> The thing is, one thing I do want to point out is that what um what was said here by John, he said that the machine is running closer to a turtle than a rabbit. He didn't really quantify exactly what he meant by that. Are you, are you with me on this? Well, he did say I've seen I more mean, than my share of beach balls of weight. Ah, okay. Yeah. All right. I think I know where the problem may be. So di- disk speed is uh is the other is the other factor that we haven't discussed and a slower disk can certainly exacerbate ram problems because when uh when you hit one other thing to look for and you can see this in both iStat menus and in uh in activity monitor is the amount of swap space that's being used 
Uh, swap means that the system has run out of real RAM to do what it believes it needs to do. And it's taking some of the stuff that's currently unnecessary from real RAM and saving it off to your disk. That's a very, very simple, quick explanation of swap. I know somebody's going to yell at me because I, I missed something, but that's essentially what's happening. And then when it needs that again, it pulls that data back in from the disk and puts something else out there if it has to. So if you're using, I feel like if you're using more, certainly more than a gig of swap and really even anything more than, you know, 500 megs of swap, your system is hitting those walls using kind of less than 500 megs. It, it, that kind of stuff sort of happens and I wouldn't sweat it, but if you're using a gig and certainly if you're using more than a gig, like, you know, I've, I've seen it even on my own machine with 32 gigs of Ram because OS 10 is not great at managing memory. Uh, I've seen it use, you know, I, I'll, I'll launch my machine and, or wake up my machine and see that, you know, I'm using six gigs of swap or something. And I know it's that I've left some like Google doc or something open in Safari that just leaks RAM like a sieve or leaks memory like a sieve. And then, and then I'm, you know, and so I just got to start closing tabs and you'll see it sort of all clean itself up. But, um, but if you have a slow disc and I think you do, any sort of swap is going to really slow you down because you're running a spindle disc. It's the original one that came with it. It's a one terabyte. I think it's a 5,400 RPM disc, if I'm oh, not boy. mistaken. Um, yeah, I'm so, trying to see what the options were on that one. The, that machine does have a SATA 3 disc interface, so that is not uh, a problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're well. Let me look here. The options, again, it says one or three terabytes, 7,200 RPM SAT or one or three fusion drive. He may have a fusion drive or flash. Okay. It could so we be. can't be sure what, no, he could have a flash drive though. At that point, a terabyte flash drive was probably a, some serious coin. Yeah, I don't, I don't know <laughs> that Apple shipped with a terabyte flash drive for that. They might've, but that seems well, like a long time ago for that. That's what I'm that. seeing on the list here for the late 2013. So you could get a, yeah, a rotational, a fusion drive or, or a flash drive. Yeah. Um, if it's not a flash drive, maybe you want to make it a flash drive. Because, yeah, the, the other thing, especially if it's rotational, these are going to get fragmentation and the machine's going to get slower and slower. Kind of like what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> defragging it is still something you can do with a rotational hard drive, and it will give you the benefit of rearranging everything so the speed is better for a while. Yep. Then. You can't really defrag again. with Apple's utilities, but I, I'm totally with you, John, on, on especially for a machine that's now three years old. Uh, you've probably not done a wipe of the drive and, you know, reformat or anything. So it, it probably is well fragmented by this point. And I would I would suggest a defrag on this, certainly as one of the solutions like you've got to use a third party utility, I believe, to do it, um, at least in any meaningful way. So Drive Genius is the one that comes to mind for me for doing a defrag these days. John, do you agree or do you have a, a different one? Uh, I'm bringing it up right now. And yeah, that's it's actually the first choice at the uh, top. Well, actually, it's grayed out because I have my boot drive right. selected. And uh, it's usually not a good idea to defrag the drive that you're boot, you boot from. <laughs> I've seen it. There are utilities that will let you I do guess that. you can. Yeah. It, that, that would really concern me on a, on a live system. I guess technically it's possible, but it make me very nervous. Yes. Yes. As it should. Yeah. It, it, regardless of whether it's your boot drive or not, do a backup uh, before you do any sort of defragging. Uh, of course. Right. So I guess, 
I, I, but I would say, I would say, um, in terms of, of things you can do to your machine, defragging it is one, uh, more Ram is probably what you're going to find you need, but, uh, and, and it sounds like regardless of, of whether, uh, you know, one of the Ram companies says you can do more than 16, you can certainly double the Ram that you have, if not go uh, past that. And, uh, and you can probably do that relatively inexpensively, but, uh, I would say, yeah, and and uh, for the 27 inch, the uh, OWC, one of our listeners in the chat room here says, uh, and, and I like your name, data for nothing and bits for free. Very good. Uh, it says that uh, the 27 inch will go up to 32 gigs with uh, with a kit, an eight gig times four kit. So yeah. so yeah, you might be right that 16 is the max that a 21 can do uh, for this, but yeah. even still, that doubles your RAM. Uh, you can do that pretty inexpensively and and that might make a big difference. But listener Furby's in the chat room also has a great suggestion, and that is run Onyx. It's free and you can run it in uh, in sort of the automated mode and it will clean out a variety of your caches and temp files and logs and all of that stuff that might be causing exactly the symptoms that you're seeing. So, uh, so definitely try that too, because that might be enough to get you back in uh, tip top shape, but you're probably going to need more Ram and either a defrag or if you, uh, if you're interested, you know, upgrading that internal drive from a spindle to an SSD, I, I will say it. We haven't said it a long time in this show because Many of our listeners are already on SSDs, but we also understand that many, many of you are not putting an SSD into an aging Mac is the single most impactful upgrade I have ever done to a computer ever. Um, and, and, and that experience and thought is shared by anyone that has done this. It's it like, it is the thing that slows down. If your computer is 10 years old or less, um, and you are still running a spindle drive on it, take a, take a strong look at upgrading to an SSD. It will make a difference for you. Guaranteed. That's my experience anyway. What do you think, John? Yep. Yeah. And like I was suggesting, though, it's probably not the cause of it running slow. There is, when analyzing something like this, you pointed out the three, I think, usual suspects. The three main areas that I would look at, there is... You always want to consider the network as being a potential bottleneck. Sure. Um, that machine has gigabit, which any modern machine should have gigabit Ethernet. Uh, and it has 802.11ac hardware in it. So um, the only thing I could think of, I mean, you know, the gigabit Ethernet is, is fast enough for, for most people. But sure. um, the Wi-Fi, uh, you know, this is quick and easy to do. But, you know, if you click on the airport menu... And you hold down the option key, you're going to see what Wi-Fi speed it's negotiated with whatever uh, access point that you have. Just make sure that that's something reasonable and that there's not something terribly wrong, that it's choosing the wrong frequency or the wrong um, transmission rate. You'll, you'll see a number of, uh, you'll see something in megabits per second, which in theory is the speed that you, you may see, um, or at least the maximum that it's asked uh you know, negotiated with the access point. Sure. Saying, you know, how many megabits can I do? You know, like on my end machine, for example, connected to the arrow, it says, yeah, you can do 300 megabits. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Cause I have end hardware. Cause you're right. Yeah, of course. All um, right. 
Are we ready? Are we moving on? Yeah, I think that's a, uh, yeah, okay. that's it. Cool. I just want to mention the network. Yeah. All right. Uh, listener David is, uh, is a DJ. He works at a, as a DJ um, at times. And he says, I'm looking to buy a new MacBook for my DJing and streaming audio out of a sound card. It seems to be the Wild West ever since Apple changed to the USB-C ports. What are your thoughts for professionals using the new MacBooks, the new ports, and these adapters? How long do you think it will be before the traditional USB port is gone from the professional workplace, similar to how Firewire was killed off? Um, you know, I, I, I don't I actually don't see a whole lot of concern here. Um, you know, it's uh, the good news is that it's still all USB, uh, especially in terms of, of things like this. Yes, there are Firewire. Uh, well, there are Firewire and there are Thunderbolt audio devices. But for what you're doing chances are you're not even going to think about using those because they're cost prohibitive and don't really provide you with any benefit, especially for your streaming uh, DJing stuff. So it's all still USB regardless of the shape of the port. And since sound doesn't require a ton of bandwidth, my guess is that with the right dongle or even just with the right cable. And again, you know, there's sort of a blurred line there between cable and dongle. Uh, you'll be able to use whatever existing device you want for as long as manufacturers make compatible drivers. That would actually be my biggest concern is choosing an audio device that either is just natively supported by OS 10 because it's, you know, only a fixed number of input and output ports or one from a manufacturer that is committed to making Mac drivers. Um, you know, you'll either be using a audio or a, a, yeah, an audio device with either a USB a port a USB-B port, which is the old, you know, square ones. And that's what's probably on your audio device now or a USB-C port for any one of these. The right $10 cable connects whatever Mac you have to that device. I mean, it, it, most audio devices that are USB have the USB-B port, which is kind of the weird square one that almost looks like a kind of an, a, a, a modern home or something. Right. Uh, and your Mac doesn't have a port like that so what you've always gotten in the past is a usb a the flat usb to usb b cable and you plug the a end into the a port on your mac and the b end into the b port on the device and it's good well if your mac doesn't have usb a ports it's got usb c shaped ports well no big deal you get a usb c to usb b cable and you plug it in there's really no difference here other than yeah you needed to buy a new cable but you can probably pick one of those up for about 10 bucks so I just don't, I, I don't think it's a big deal. It's sort of a pain because you can't use the cable you already have. And yes, I get that. But in terms of it being anything other than just a very minor nuisance the first time that you have to go and buy a new cable, uh, I don't I don't think there's any sort of, uh, uh, you know, overreaching implications of this for people doing what you're doing. And for frankly, for most people, yes, there are some specific scenarios where it's like, Oh, this could be a real problem, but otherwise, yeah, I wouldn't sweat it. I think, I think you're all fine. What do you think, John? I think I'm happy with the machine I have now. Well, of course you are. That's how you, that's how you roll, man. And the little board that I have, that's right. Everything I want. That's really right. Nice. Yeah. The, uh, which is the Yamaha AG 06. Oh yeah, right. But that has a probably a USB B port on it, right? Correct. Yes, yeah, it so has the it, exact cable. Yeah, when I right. hooked it up, I had to dig into my. Or did it, I think it no, came, it with, came it, with a cable. I used yeah. it, but I think I used a different one that's that's fancier, longer or something. Right. Oh, there you go. Sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can see the other uh, metal braids in it. It's really, oh, nice. That's uh, really pretty cool. That's good. But yeah, uh, you know, if you got a USB-C Mac, you'd just get a USB-C to USB-B connector. And uh, again, assuming that the OS on it sees the the hardware, which I'm sure it would, then you're golden. So, yeah, it's good. He's good. All right. Um, well, we've got a little bit more time. Let's... um. Let's let's answer Eric's question. We've had this one kind of sitting for a week or two here. Eric says, I am in the search of Bluetooth earbuds or headphones where I can watch video on my iPhone without the audio being out of sync. What tech specs should I look for in a pair of Bluetooth headphones? Or is this even possible? So the good news is that it is possible because the operating system uh, QuickTime in particular, but the OS in general on your Mac can actually do something to sync this up as long as it knows what it has to do. And that's where things get interesting. Um, most Bluetooth earbuds where the two are wired together. So there's there's lots of these right either over the ear where, where it's kind of a you know standard headphone thing, but that's not an earbud or the earbuds um, like the, the, you know, the backbeat go from Plantronics or whatever, but, but there's lots of them where it's just, there's a thin cable that connects the two ear earbuds and it's got like a little, you know, microphone or, or volume control or something on it. Those all wired together. You're almost never going to have a problem because all the Mac has to worry about is how much delay there is in getting the audio signal to the first earbud. And that's it. Right. So those are, are all probably going to work where it starts to get to be an issue is if you're running truly wireless earbuds like the AirPods, though the AirPods don't have this issue, but something like the AirPods or the ear in or the braggy dash, things like those where uh, the both earbuds are wirelessly connected either to your Mac or to one another. And you may not even know the difference uh, because it just all sort of works. That's where it can be a problem. Now, with the AirPods, each AirPod is connected individually to your Mac or, or iPhone. Um, and Apple's sort of done the software magic that needs to happen to make sure, A, that they get connected. The W1 chip sort of takes care of the initial volley of that. And then uh, the OS and QuickTime and all of that take care of making sure that the uh, the video and the audio arrive at your brain at uh, close enough to the same time where you don't notice a difference. So that's all fine. The braggy dash uh, works a little bit differently, but the end result is also fine. Uh, the way it works is one ear earbud connects to your device, whatever that device is. And then that earbud connects to the other one. But the braggy dash uses something called NFMI near field magnetic induction for communication between the two earbuds that introduces about a three millisecond delay. You're not going to notice that delay. They know you're not going to notice that delay, but they still delay both bits of audio to be in sync. But it does mean that you are about three milliseconds off from whatever the Mac or iPhone calculates getting it there. You're not going to notice this. It, I've tested it. Trust me. It works fine. The first generation ear in M1, which is audio wise, my favorite uh, wireless earbud. And I'm actually very impressed with the Apple AirPods, uh, but, but I still like the ear in better uh, for audio. Um, but 
the Earin M1 uses Bluetooth to talk between the earbuds. The problem with Bluetooth is it doesn't do so well going through water. And when you're using earbuds in default configuration, you are almost certainly, I make no assumptions about anybody's biology, but I am pretty certain that you are putting them on either sides of a big block of water and other dense matter. Yes. So we're not saying you're dense. No, no. And we're not saying that you're hydrocephalic either, but there is water in all of our bodies. And that's sort of the problem. So you're going to have a several hundred millisecond delay or up to a several hundred millisecond delay because Bluetooth doesn't do so well going through water and it has to retry several times, sometimes mm. to get the connection there. So the Erin M1s built in a delay of about 250 milliseconds to ensure that both earbuds would have the right bit of audio at the same time and could play it and make it sound great. And, and they succeeded. However, it means that you are 250 milliseconds delayed from whatever your Mac thought your ears would hear whenever your Mac thought the ears would hear your ears would hear the audio. So it is out of sync and 200 milliseconds for those of you that uh, haven't done the math yet means that it's or 250 milliseconds is a quarter of a second, right? A thousand milliseconds is one full second. Now you've done the math. Here we go. So quarter of a second, not good. And they know this at Erin, the M2, which I got to see at uh, CES and is coming out very, very soon now has changed. And instead of using Bluetooth to talk between the ears, they use NFMI, near field magnetic induction. And so there is no more delay and you can watch video. They've also added a microphone to it so you can do uh, not only speakerphone, but you can uh, do it, uh, hear through and audio pass through and all of that stuff. So uh, very cool stuff coming on that on that front. So to answer your question, now that we've sort of given you the tech background, uh, what you're looking for, if you're looking for true wireless earbuds, and I highly recommend it regardless of which ones you, you ultimately choose that work for you. Uh, it is a liberating experience to have no cable, but, uh, but I highly recommend getting one that supports NFMI for communication between the two earbuds because, or like the AirPods that actually have direct Bluetooth to your phone simultaneously. At least that's what Apple says they're doing, and I believe them, um, to, in order to deal with that delay. So there you go. That's my uh, that's my answer on that, John. Was that helpful? Yeah, I learned. Uh, I learned about. I learned a new acronym. There you go. Yeah, that's right. That's NFMI, right. though. I've I've used the technology before. Yeah, I'm just reading up on it. So it's definitely more efficient than RF for for certain things. Right. Uh, this being one of them. Right. Right. All right, we have really, uh, we're out of time, but we do have another Bluetooth question, so uh, we're going to do it anyway because we're here, and, and that's how we roll. Um, the, uh, it's Terry that asks, and he says, my question is, how are Bluetooth devices prioritized in iOS? I drive a Toyota that is Bluetooth enabled. The car's Bluetooth captures the phone output anytime I get near and the car is on, presuming that the car is on. Uh, yeah, uh, this happens even if the car stereo is turned off, as long as the car itself is running. I look down at control center in my iPhone and see it connected to car multimedia, which is what Toyota calls their 
their Bluetooth. If the stereo is off, then the audio stream simply stops playing. I don't always want to hand off audio to the car. In fact, I rarely want that handoff to happen automatically. Typically, I'd prefer to continue listening through the headphones, AirPods, that are already in my ear and were playing as I was approaching the car. Is there any way to set device priority in iOS? If I'm currently using one device, typically AirPods these days, I'd like them to have priority and not surrender control to the car. Terry, I don't know that I have an answer for you on this one, but I would love to hear anyone else's thoughts that might. Um, I, I've experienced this too. It's not just Toyotas, although we do, we have a, a Highlander that, that, uh, that does exactly this. It, you know, it just, as soon as the iPhone sees it, it's like, yeah, it goes over there. Now you can, like you, like you sort of half mentioned here, you can go into control center. Not only can you see what it's connected to, but you can change that too and have it play uh, elsewhere. But I, uh, I think the Bluetooth priority selection that happens is something that happens when the, um, when a new device is, is sort of presented, it takes over. And I've had this, um, I've seen this many times. Like if I'm using a headset and the car gets home because it's in the garage next to me and my daughter like backs it in or whatever, sometimes the car will grab it. If it's not already, you know, grabbed her phone or whatever, if she's like turned Bluetooth off or whatever while she's in the car. So um, it's, it's sort of, it's flaky and it's not just cars. I've, I've seen it happen with other, you know, Bluetooth headsets for phones and, and things like that, where it's like, Oh, where is this playing now? What's going on? As you might imagine, I have lots of Bluetooth devices here, you know, I'm testing all these headphones. And so my phone at any point in time has this pairing list. That's, you know, like four pages long or something. And, and sometimes, yeah, sound just comes out of the wrong place. And it's the last one that it saw turn on because it assumes that you turned it on, therefore, you must be assuming that that's where the sound's going to come from. That's not always the case. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think to answer the question, the priority list is the most recent one it has seen come available. And that's not always right. But have you, you don't do a ton with Bluetooth. Not really. And I'm looking, you know, I was hoping, hoping beyond hope whatever that means, um, that you could do it similar. So, of course, as you know, but if you don't know, you can prioritize your network devices, whether they be Wi-Fi or uh, Ethernet or Thunderbolt or things like that by rearranging them and saying, I think, set service order. Alas, that is not an... And then it propagates. um, If you're using iCloud, it propagates to your iOS devices. Sadly, that does not seem to be the case on Bluetooth because I have four devices listed here. I have my uh, JBLs. I got my MacBook, uh, my iPhone, and another MacBook. Oh, that must be my old one. I should right. get rid of that. But I have, I see no way, and neither on iOS. You know, if I hold and try to move it, it just stays where it is. So yeah. Well, yeah. the thing is, unlike Wi-Fi, Bluetooth can be con- your device can be connected to multiple Bluetooth devices simultaneously um, because they're not all doing audio, right? I mean, in your car, you might have you know, an automatic uh, device, like sensing data from your car, or uh, you might have your Apple watch with you. Right. And all of these things in theory can be connected simultaneously, have too many of them. 
and you'll find your audio might stutter and things like that. That could also be uh, not just radio interference, but you know, if you've got the phone in the wrong place on your body and we go back to that water issue between you and whatever the receiver is or, or, uh, you know, the, the transceiver in the car is. So yeah, yeah but or you're um, holding it wrong. Oh, that's the problem, John. <laughs> you're holding it wrong. No, that, yeah, there is no, there is no way to do this. And, and I've, I'm, I'm with you, Terry, there should be, uh, you know, th- this is, and I don't, I haven't used Android phones enough to know if they address this problem differently, if they solve for this differently, because it feels like as a user, like I would like to be able to to say, no, if you see car multimedia, you know, and you see AirPods, always choose AirPods, even if car multimedia comes online second, you know, uh, and that's not always going to be the case, right? There's going to be a time when you're like, oh, dang it. It's on my AirPods, not on my, you know, not on my car. Yeah, I want it to be on my car. And so Apple, this is sort of typical, uh, you know, Apple solution is, you no, know, we'll decide for you. But I don't know if Android deals with it differently or if if it's just the same way over there. Like, uh, you know, I've used Android stuff, but not not as a like daily driver recently enough to to say one way or another. So. Anyway, that's uh, that's what we got for today. It's time to bring the band in. It's not that cold out, but you know, they've been out there a while. Right, Mr. Yeah. Braun? Yes, sir. We told you how to email us. Now we'll tell you how to call us. You can call us at 224-888-GEEK. Anybody can leave a message there. And John, geek is... four three three. Five. That's what you think. You can come join our Facebook group. Visit macgeekgub.com slash Facebook and uh, join us over there. We've got some great discussion. And in our Facebook group this morning, a listener asked, is there a calendar that you publish that I could subscribe to to know when the live shows are happening? And the answer is yes. Simply point yourself to macgeekgub.com slash calendar and you will get access to the very same iCloud shared calendar that John and I use to schedule this show. So it will almost certainly always be accurate and up to date because without it, John and I would not be able to be in the same Skype call at the same time. So there you go. I want to thank all of you for listening. I want to thank all of our premium members for being premium members. And, of course, those uh, include Terry, Andrew, uh, another Andrew. I believe it was two different Andrews in this show. Michael, Robin, and uh, we started the show off with Ken at uh, about KeyQ. And Ken also is a premium listener. Thank you very much for that. All right. If you want to be a premium listener... Go to MacGeekUp.com. There's a link right there. If you are interested in supporting us and are able to support us, we would very much appreciate your support. If you are either not interested or even if you're interested but unable, it's okay. Please keep listening. Keep sending in questions. Keep doing what you do. It takes all of us to make this work, and that includes each and every one of you, and I thank you for that. I also thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And, of course, our sponsors. And that includes, as we mentioned in the show, MacSales.com, Otherworld Computing, 
Fat Cat Software at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG with power photos and iPhoto Library Manager. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Barebones Software at barebones.com. GoDaddy at GoDaddy.com, where MGG30 saves you 30%. I've actually used that myself a couple times this week. Very happy to have that coupon. And Blue Apron. We're at BlueApron.com slash MGG. You can get three free meals on your first order. Got to check it out. We just ate one last night. It's awesome stuff. John, I know you're a little under the weather. I am... Still recovering from whatever this uh, thing is. You probably hear it in my throat that I'm not exactly at 100%. But uh, CES Cruft. Yeah, it seemed to have gone away while I was in Mexico, but uh, but it came Maybe back. You picked up something in Mexico. No, no, this is definitely the same thing. It just, I, I think the heat and the, you know, um, like getting enough sleep and all of that stuff really kind of helped, uh, you know, keep me loosened up. Also, we had a hot tub on the roof of our hotel room. So every night after the concerts, we were able to go up to the hot tub and soak our feet. But also, you know, it's like you get all that good, like warm, misty air. It was a, it was actually a hydro spot. So it wasn't even chlorinated air it was, or chlorinated water. It was just like normal water. So it was good. Mildly chlorinated, I'm sure, because it's a hotel. But we're both a little under the weather. I believe you're, uh, you're, you're more under the weather than I am at the moment. So I have this wish for you, my friend, and that is that you stay healthy, you get well soon, and that you don't get caught. Made up. 